Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line, the podcast for entrepreneurs who are keen on building a valuable company. We feature other entrepreneurs on this show so that we can learn their stories and hear their lessons they've learned along the way. My guest today is Lisa Drader Murphy, an award-winning, hugely successful women's wear designer. It's a great episode and I hope you'll enjoy. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. We are in for a treat today because my guest is the great Lisa Drader Murphy, who is the owner of LBM Group of Companies. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Wendy. So nice to be here with you. Oh, it's so exciting. You are so interesting. You have a number of companies, but the one we'll start with on the first is your fashion empire, because really that was the start of it all. Um, how did you get into fashion? Do you remember, was there something that happened when you were a child and you went, I just want to design clothes? Like, how did that happen? Um, it didn't actually start with fashion. I've just oh. always loved systemizing and creating things. I think I was four years old when there was a clip that came on Sesame Street showing the manufacturing of a pair of jeans. And I was hooked. I was like, really? Those are all the steps that happen to make that pair of jeans. I was just so uh, fascinated with that whole idea of manufacturing and production and efficiency and the, the formula around all of that. So that's kind of where I caught the bug. And, it, and then I would make anything not just clothing. (laughs) I think it was in grade six or seven when I started cutting up pairs of jeans and getting wire coat hangers and making these structured little clutches and handbags out of old pairs of jeans. Um, So there was always that side of me, um, but I was actually planning to go into social welfare or law and didn't realize that this could actually be a career for me till I was you know, in philosophy, studying philosophy and missed the deadline on an essay, but I had a brand new outfit on that day that I just made that morning. <laughs> you realized your, your priorities may have shifted at that point. Yeah, it was actually my prof who said, you know, you, you could do that for a living. And I looked at him like, that had never occurred to me. Really? So I could go be a university when someone finally said that to you? Yeah, my philosophy prof. So I, I thought, like a light bulb went on. I went, I think I was just given permission, whether I needed that or not, to go and pursue something that I'm so passionate about that I always thought was a side hustle. Like it, I just thought, well, that's a hobby. I can't, you're not allowed to make your hobby your, your career. That's just not practical or realistic. But that was my, my first moment where I thought I, maybe I could do this. So did you go to like a, a design school? Like where did you learn the craft? Or was it all self-taught? No. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that you learn and there's a mindset and there's a an aptitude to work in this industry. Uh-huh. But, um, 
it's a, a bit of an engineering mindset. But I went to Form and Function Design Academy. It's a private international school in Calgary. I graduated there in 1990 and um, have worked in various positions in the industry since then, from you know assistant cutter to you know the shipping department to head of design and director of design and product development for major Canadian manufacturers. So it, it, it was, uh, it was, I guess I, it was worth the risk. <laughs> I made a career out of it anyway. That's so awesome. And when I think about all those jobs you had before you ended up on your own with your own shops and your own designs, mm-hmm. it feels like it was paid education. I always look at all my previous stuff before I ended up into what I'm doing now as my paid education. Absolutely. You learn. And if you're open-minded, you learn a lot. So it's really important to keep those blinders down and observe. Mm -hmm. I always think of that time in my life that I learned a lot of what I wanted to do, but I think I learned even more about what I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that has informed my business. Has there been any key lessons around that you can think of that you said, well, I'll never do it that way. I never wanted to grow too big, too fast. Mm -hmm. So when I first launched my my collection in Calgary, I had very quickly, I had opened my second store and was negotiating my third. And I uh, was called into a meeting at the bank to be greeted by a table of suits and folders. And they had a plan that they were going to invest. They had investors and I was going to have a store in, you know, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Vancouver, Regina, that we were going to have 10 stores in five years at all of these major centers. They couldn't believe that I had created this collection from my original collection was uh, made using unused vintage fabric Uh that had been unused, like not reused, but high quality vintage fabrics. And they were just really surprised that I had turned essentially something that had been written off the books for 60 years into this business that was profiting from basically opening month. And I turned it down. I I knew that I wasn't, I I just had this gut feeling that I didn't want to give my name away. I didn't want to create a job for myself. Mm -hmm. Then pressure was put on me to meet goals that were set by others that it would, it it could potentially destroy me creatively Mm -hmm. because creativity has to be nurtured in a very safe place. And I wasn't willing to sell that out. Because then I think you would have all, it'd almost be like a typical business where your quarterly results were more important than the big picture. I have colleagues from that time that did accept those types of offers and they are no longer in business. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of situations where they actually lost, they were kicked off of their own board of directors. Like that's not cool. Yeah. They lost the ability to use their own name. Like, I, I just thought, nope, nope, it sounded really nice. And all these guys telling me, you know, 10 stores, five years, this is what we're going to do for you. No, nope, I, I couldn't give away the control. And I'm really glad that I didn't. So I don't know if that answered your question or if I've kind of. No, it's not. That, but yeah, controlling your growth, it's easy to be wooed into that. That must have been a very hard decision to make, like. Did you ever, did you make it and move on and never regret it? Or did you ever go, oh man, I wonder what it would have been like, you know, sliding doors type thing. I, I never regretted it. The, the thing that was difficult was the people around me pushing me to do it. Yes. And saying, you don't understand this doesn't happen. Like you can't even get a loan in retail and you've got investors lined up. No, that doesn't even happen. 
So it was very interesting. But what it did tell me was that they were seeing something in me that I, I needed to not lose sight of myself. Mm. And that became my focus. I was like, what is it that they see? And I began to dissect aspects of business that I hadn't had any business knowing about and learning, you know, teaching myself um, and uh, reading and studying and trying to understand uh, the foundation of their goals as compared to what are the foundation, what's the foundation of my goals. And mine were different. My foundation's different. I need a lifestyle. Hmm. The thing that fills my soul is being creative and that would have taken it away from me. I would have created a job for myself with my name on the building, you know? Yes. No. Yeah. Doesn't sound exciting to me. No. (laughs) Um, What I've always admired uh, about the way you've structured your fashion empire, if if you will, is that you've designed, and I know that you currently manufacture, and then you have your own retail outlets. Have you always managed all three aspects or did one, like did the, the manufacturing come in later? Like, how did that all come about? All of it happened at once. So um, I was head of design for a fairly substantial manufacturer in Calgary at the time when I launched my first turbine collection, which we've since rebranded under my name. Yeah. But um, I um, was head of design and I had actually was on my maternity leave and I was supposed to be off with my infant daughter, Sarah, who's now 26, and uh, it, it didn't work out. The replacement didn't quite work out. They called me back nine days after she was born. And they said, just come back. We'll build a, a nursery in the design department. And, you know, we'll accommodate you. And, like, just we got to get this work done and come back. So I did. And one of the ways that I that I got her to nap in the afternoon was to walk through the production floor. And the white noise of 300 industrial sewing machines worked pretty quick almost every time. But uh, there was one particular day she wasn't settling down and I ended up in a warehouse at the back of the of the production floor. And that's where I found this unused vintage fabric. And that is when I the wheels turned and I guess I wasn't busy enough with a nine day old baby and a full time job and <laughs> everything else that I was trying to juggle at the time. I launched the very first sample sample collection from this fabric that I had discovered in this warehouse. And that's within a week, I I was partners with the manufacturing company, one of the owners of the manufacturing company I worked for. And that's a whole keynote that I give Mm -hmm. um, that I skipped out on and fast forwarded. (laughs) But um, yeah, they were the owners were intrigued with what I had come up with with fabric that they'd been looking at basically had forgotten about for decades. And uh, they they did the manufacturing. I did the design retail marketing and within six months I bought my partner out and I had my own producing studio. So amazing. Yeah. Well, now this maybe uh, how many other fashion designers actually manage all of that or how many, mo- uh, like in my mind, I'm always thinking most of them are outsourcing that part of the, of the chain, if you will, of the supply chain. Most do. Um, there are some, very small producers that like home-based producers that that might do everything from beginning to end um, but they're generally custom designers they're not like they're doing custom custom work for their clients Um, but there's the odd designer that might produce their own small batch run but I don't know any that own their own stores 
Right. So, you know, like that, that verticality is not that common in North America at all anymore. Um, but that verticality is what actually got us through the last three years. No kidding. Um, well, um, there were a lot of, a lot of labels that were traditionally designing and producing in Canada. They would design a collection, source their fabrics six months in advance, yeah. have it pre-ordered to drop ship at a third party manufacturer you know, who had already had their tech packs or specs and patterns and whatnot. And all of that was shut down. So when the pandemic hit, they were either shut down because of of physical spacing requirements, or they were pivoting to PPE or other products that were required at the time. So it was devastating for our industry, for anybody who was banking on the traditional production cycle. And, uh, you know, having our own production was everything it it was it's what kept us going yeah did um did the pandemic i would have assumed uh, it probably changed like we've talked in the green room a little bit about then you've taken a number of pivots particularly in the last three years yes. what has been the biggest change in your in what you had planned to do <laughs> rolling into 2020 versus now that we're halfway through 2023 oh my gosh that's a hard one to answer 2020 was shaping up to be a pretty awesome year. Yeah. Almost a pinnacle year. Yeah. I had uh, a lot of things planned for 2020. I had finally taken the month of January off. It was the first year that I'd ever been able to, you know, take our slowest month of the year and just say, no, everything's taken care of. I'm going to France, (laughs) which I did (laughs) for a month. And, um, Coming home was, it's probably good. It was fortuitous that I had that rest, that bit of a break, that time to kind of really nurture my creativity and my myself and have some downtime because uh, I could never have predicted what we were entering by, you know, February, March. Yeah. Home. So I, it, it changed a lot. I had a very different plan for the year and it was a lot of pivoting and a lot of you know, trying to prioritize and figure out what was going to happen next month and then making those hard decisions and then having the rug pulled out again. Right. Municipal lockdowns, just all of everything that that went on over that first, especially year and a half was a roller coaster ride. No kidding. I think it was for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. those pivots. Yeah. Um, Did you, were you able to move some of your sales online? Or because you had traditionally been a lot of bricks and mortar type of retail. Um, How did that, did that shift at all? It's kind of interesting because we'd never had a robust online presence. It had always been, always could have used an upgrade. Um, But our focus, you're right, was always on bricks and mortar. It was creating experiences within our stores. That's where our investment and our focus was and is again, actually, But we had just, one of my team members in late 2019 had worked on a new website for us and they had, she'd been designing it and, and it was just launched, I believe, I think it was like September or October of 2019 in a smallish way. And, but she had fortuitously laid the groundwork for like the platform for something we could build upon it, it, it without much notice. So it was interesting the timing of I know it was like the timing was perfect 
yeah. for that. So we did become pretty robust online and we obviously um, designed and, and produced face masks. Yes. Uh, layer, hydrophobic, breathable face masks with a pocket for a polypropylene milk, <laughs> you know, um, filter. And uh, we did that before anybody said that's what we should do. And uh, two years later, that was the final recommendation on non-medical masks. But we produced 55,000 of them before anyone authenticated it. So we were able to pivot and do that. But, you know, a lot of designers didn't like they could do what they could sew themselves in their own, maybe, you know, home-based studio. But the factories had all wiped out fashion and they were focused on PPE and we were no different. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So we've, we were talking a little earlier about how we feel like things are kind of coming back to normal or what normal was. Is there anything you're changing about what you want to do with normal? Like I know myself, I have some things I don't want to, I don't want to do it this way anymore. I yeah. had this opportunity to shift and do a, do business in a different way. And I would, and I want to keep it that way. What are mm -hmm. some of the things does that happen to you? Is there anything that you said, nah, that's good. I don't need it back. <sighs> well, I think I know what you mean because there many people are resisting going back to the office mm. and our government workers right now who that's yep. their, that's their main priority of the strike from what I understand. So people are very red reticent to go back to status quo before from my perspective, I have focused my shift, my priority shift in terms of my businesses. So it was quite a shock to have all of these commercial rents that I had to continue paying when I was not permitted to open for business. And I, I am focused on really being very um, selective about where I maintain my bricks and mortar under which landlords, you know, like I know most of my business development and growth is focused on our property in Falmouth and the studio there and the offering of our Seacan fabrics that we've now opened and the, the resort suites and the experience that you can have that's all encompassing out here because I own this property. What has changed for you in your business model? Yeah. Uh, what's no longer acceptable going forward that used to be acceptable? You know, like you just were taught, we, you know, part of what we talked about was, you know, during the pandemic, you had these massive checks you were writing yeah. for landlords in spaces that you couldn't even actually get into to sell yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and now that you've consolidated and started doing more out of your Falmouth location because you have your great uh, resort and you have the studio. So is owning the properties you're in going to be something you're going to focus on going forward or will that Will that change? I think it's, I think I'll be more, I've always been this way, but I'm going to be especially deliberate about what I, where the investment goes, like what, what I'm, I'm working on um, a plan to renovate the studio. Mm -hmm. I've done so many leaseholds in various retail stores, but I've always kind of just let my studio be my studio. I'm like, no, mm -hmm there's a great opportunity here. Why do I not invest in this and really expand this, this opportunity to welcome people into our business and, and sell our products and share our experiences. So yeah, where I invest is definitely changing because you never know who would have ever anticipated, exactly. you know, that in one week, 
our particular household, three very diverse revenue streams were shut down all in the same week. Yeah. Zero income. Yeah. All in one foul swoop. They aren't even related industries. Right. So you diversified and it didn't help. Exactly. So it's just, it's been a really, it's been a, a very challenging um, and interesting problem to solve. But I, I have a plan and we're working on towards that. And it's been, it's been working. So that's awesome. <laughs> I so, hope it continues to. I hope so too. Your business is making a profit. You're growing, but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success, don't worry, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your financial diagnostic score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. The, the thing that I'd love to dig into just a little bit is like you're going to be very discerning about where you invest. Mm-hmm. What, is, what are the top two things you're looking for now in terms of your investments? Is it that you have control? Is it that the return on investment? Like what are the things that you're looking at most or that are most important to you as you look at investments? Control is pretty important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's a number. So it's, it's, and I can dissect it a number of different ways. So, you know, an investment doesn't even necessarily mean it has to be strictly a monetary return. Oh, yeah. Um, there are, are, there's, you know, prioritizing what those returns are is important. Mm-hmm. But you nailed it with control. I really need control. It's, I have to know everything about something before I dive in. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's an important aspect. But return, of course, just yeah. how do we define that? That's, that's where mm-hmm. the variables, how do you define return? And that's where the variables come in. So I like the return of investing more into the experience at my Falmouth location and just the convenience of being here and having it all so close. And yeah, I guess I work from home. Like so many people are not wanting to give up now. As a result of the pandemic and all the pivots and everything else you've had to make in the last few years, has your definition of success personally and business changed? Oh, has my definition changed? That's a really good question. Success is defined by, you know, what we require and desire based on a set of circumstance we currently find ourselves in. So yeah, we're in a different set of circumstances now. Ah. So I would say success for me is navigating all of the, the changes economically. Mm-hmm. And in my industry, industries, and coming up with new solutions and new goals based on the changing resources. And, you know, we essentially did that during the pandemic because I had started Willowvale Estate, our, our boutique resort bookings. I had transitioned our family home seven years ago. And we were looking at purchasing a small house in France. And this was sort of like our 
You know, this is now a business. We're going to work really hard. We're going to live in this business. We're going to establish it. And then we're going to be able to slowly break away and take, peel back some of that, you know, early retirement time here and there. Not that I'll ever retire likely. (laughs) I don't even know if that'll happen, but, but um, you know, that focus changed because we were not able to open stores, but staycations exploded. Right. So my focus changed and success became, how do I focus on what's happening right now? This, this economic climate, this pandemic climate, these restrictions and everything that we're dealing with. And we doubled our bookings at um, Willowvale during that time. So that part, that business expanded And now I'm heading into a season where I think I'm going to have two businesses that I'm going to need to be able to keep, you know, to juggle and balance and, and keep active. So my biggest challenge now, and what I would consider success would be rebuilding my team with this new set of, of requirements and a new structure post pandemic based on what we've learned and what we know we need to focus on and where the opportunities best lie. So that has definitely become more come more into the spotlight, I guess. Uh, yeah. So the the lens you're, you're of what you're and what you're focusing on has changed. One mm. of the things that has been so key to your success, or it seems to be, is the fact that you are creative, and then you be able to bring these creations to life, uh, mm. for, and then other people want them. So how do you make sure you have space? Like you talked about January in France. Are there some rituals, habits, things that you do that allow you to give that creativity space to blossom and produce the results? I know that I have to give myself time to just decompress. I I will burn out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to learn that about myself over the years. It's I can I can function at a really high level for a certain amount of time. But if I don't allow myself to take that time and, and decompress and focus on creative as- avenues that don't have the same pressure for production. I don't have to produce, you know, like those creative, and that's actually turned into a lot of other streams of product development. <laughs> when you, you gave know. yourself that space to just create. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we should do this. That's how I started a jewelry collection. Like that's years ago, how we started the leather handbag collection. Like I just need something that's just for me that I can play with and tinker in my studio. And next thing you know, there's a new collection. So, but but I think that goes hand in hand with that need to decompress without pressure. Yes, facilitates creativity. So there's and, no outcome that you're expecting from it. You're just going in to play. Yeah, that's I, I have to allow that to to happen from time to time. Do you put it in your calendar? Do you, you know, every second Friday from three to four, I will play. No. How do you, when do you know it's time and how do you get, and then how do you carve out that space? It's a very organic process. If we're busy, I'm nose to the grindstone. If the, if the opportunities are there, I am, I don't have the luxury to do that. I have to just do. Um, But I do have a great management team that's been, cutting me some slack in that way. You know, when you have good people that you can trust to keep the important things moving, it, it's getting better that way. But um, no, I, I, I can't, I don't right now, I haven't had the luxury in the last few years to just say, yes, this is what's going to happen. This is my structured playtime. 
because I've had, you know, employees that have been ill. I've had to cover for employees. <laughs> like it's just been every curveball that can be thrown right. my way. And that's been, right. but actually, yeah, that'd be nice to be able to focus on um, a specific day. <laughs> something to look well, it's forward. more like when the gap in your schedule comes up or that there's not a pressure of something immediate being done. You kind of go, okay, this is my break. I'm going to go take it a little. I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this little break in the action, if you will. Yeah, pretty much. So how do you decide what you're going to play with? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you go in and you go, oh, well, I'm playing with leather to make a bag or I'm going to make jewelry today. Like, is it just whatever? Did you see something that sparked it? Like, how do you know what you're going to play with? Sometimes it's a matter of I'll go out there and I'll say, this is a leather hide that's been here for four years. Why haven't I, I not done anything with it? And I'll throw it on my cutting table and I'll crank up some music and I'll pace around and I'll have a phone call and I'll keep looking at it. And then, you know, and then something will, you know, will make, will twig. Right. And I'll just be like, Oh, this is what I'll do with it. And I'll start playing. It's, it's when there's no pressure that, that things really start to come together. Right. For designing production's a different mindset altogether. Production is we've got, 300 garments we have to finish today. So there's a process for that. And the machines have to be operating properly and everybody has to know what they're doing and the process has to be in place. And it's almost automated. And the creative process is definitely way more organic and way less efficient. <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't put creativity and efficiency in the same basket all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, Lisa, this has been delightful. Is there something I haven't asked you, some nugget of truth that you've learned along the way that you would love to share with our listeners that you can think of that I haven't asked you? Because maybe I've asked you all the good questions. Well, you've asked me quite a few good questions. You're a good question asker. I, I think that we need, as a cre- I can speak to being a creative entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just to button up what we've been talking about in terms of creativity and that, that time that's so necessary to be inspired. And it really is about balance. And so many of us who are born creatives feel forced into a mold that is really antithetical to what, who we are Mm -hmm. and what in, what inspires us and what motivates us. So finding that balance is really crucial to keeping things going, to keeping the momentum going. If you are an entrepreneur in a creative field, balance most important. Thank you so much, Lisa. Lisa, where can people find you on the web? What's what's the URL to go do some shopping? Shopping, lisadradermurphy.com. And our resort is willowvaleestate.com. And we will soon have our website up for secanfabrics.com. But you can visit secanfabrics at our, our studio in Falmouth. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The real bottom line here today is control your growth and listen to your intuition. Hey, growth-oriented business owners. Are you ready to take your business to new heights and connect with like-minded entrepreneurs? I would like to introduce you to the Elite Growth Community, your ticket to a world of learning, sharing, strategizing, and problem solving. Our monthly live events will bring together successful business owners just like you, who are making over six figures and have been in the game for at least two years. And the best part? 
your first event is absolutely free. So try it out and see if it's the right fit for you. And after that, for just $17 a month, you'll unlock unlimited access to our exclusive community where you can accelerate your business growth like never before. No commitments, month to month. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to join the Elite Growth Community at blackstarwealth.com backslash elite. Sign up today and watch your business soar to a new heights. That's blackstarwealth.com backslash E-L-I-T-E. Hope to see you soon.